0: We're, we're, we're asking this question, aren't we better off without Christianity? And it's a good question to be asking. I, I want to reject from the um, outset that being a Christian uh, will make you rich. Uh, but it is a good question um, that people are wanting to know the answer to, because people are asking, aren't they, you know, am I trading up or am I trading down if I become a follower of Jesus? You know, isn't Christianity over? Isn't it outdated? And doesn't it make things worse uh, both as an individual and as a society. In uh, 1959, the, the missiologist Bishop Leslie Newbigin, he wrote a book called Honest Religion for Secular Man, and he wrote this. I have seen enough to know how powerful a source of evil religion can be. And then he went on. Religion is much too great and permanent an element in human experience, though, to be swept out of of sight. Newbegin, he predicted that secularism would go through different stages and it would begin um, by creating a pluralist society that seemed okay. And the promise was one of a utopia of individual rights where we all have our human rights and nobody steps on anyone else's toes and we're all very happy. And it's, it's nice in theory, he says until you do start stepping on each other's toes. You know, what if you're a mother and you're breastfeeding in public? And then there's a Muslim man who doesn't want to see that. You know, who, who's right wins there? And then there's the reality that we're made to worship, to, to put worth and, and value in things. And so secularism, it starts to eat itself. You know, every institution everything that we put our trust and value in sort of starts to topple. You know, government is humiliated. Big business is humiliated. Sports people are humiliated. Politicians are humiliated. Even the church is humiliated. And you begin and predict it, What would return are the political religions. You know, we see that everywhere right now, don't we? You know, people evangelical about their particular political brand or or leader and what they're putting their hope in. And uh, they're policing what you say and even what you think. And our supposedly enlightened and open major international cities like London all of a sudden seem to be a bit more puritanical. But these people, they've had a good blueprint in how to be judgmental. If you've been hurt by the church, I'm so sorry. So have I. The church is far too often a travel agency for guilt trips. You know, telling you that you must behave if you are to belong. Telling you that you need to fit into some sort of weird subculture if you are to belong. Telling you how to worship. You know, you're not praying or reading the Bible often enough. And imposing these rules and regulations that do not look like freedom. And if that is Christianity, then yes, I think we are better off without Christianity. But I would say to you, do not confuse the ugly sins of the church with the perfect love of Jesus Christ. You know, although I have far too often tried to do my own thing, my life has always been better with Jesus Christ. And I am, I'm not alone in this view. You know, we tend to think of Christianity as being this sort of quite masculine, white and Western religion that has sort of fizzled out in society. Well, newsflash. Jesus, he didn't speak with a cut glass home counties accent. But he spoke in regional Aramaic. St. Augustine was African. Today, the church in Asia is exploding. And today, the typical Christian is a woman of color. The theologian Richard Borkham says, Christianity was a world religion long before it was a European one. He says, no other faith has so extensively crossed the cultural divisions of humanity and found a place in so many diverse cultural contexts. It really is a one-size-fits-all You know, if I had time, I would point you to loads of data from history, from today, that shows that Christianity does improve people's quality of life. And so, yes, while imperialism, while the church has a lot to answer for, the message that went out to the four corners of the globe is coming back and is being imported back to Britain, if you like. It's the empire strikes back. And so now we've got this huge body of literature, Asking, what's happened to liberalism? Why is it going through a crisis? The secular project is going through this moment of reckoning right now in the world. Because if you join the dots, human dignity and freedom, those things all find their foundation in the person of Jesus Christ. That God, he's given us each, each and every one of us, individual worth and dignity and value. And in his infinite wisdom, he's also given each of us free will. So, secularism, it's wanting to, to sort of feast on the fruits of Christianity, but without Christ Himself. You know, apparently freer, but what are the fruits of this freedom? Well, the Melbourneian pastor Mark says he, he explains that the world understands two distinct views, two distinct messages on what human beings alike. He says that there's the public one and there's the hidden one. So publicly, he says, uh, the message is humans are creative, they're spontaneous and they're unique individuals. Humans, they find meaning through expansive freedom, self-expression and pleasurable experiences. Desire choices and identity emerge from within them. And this is what we're told to believe about ourselves. Marketers, tank companies and governments, he says, they uh, understand something quite different. They, they understand this, that, that humans are predictable. They are unoriginal and herd-like consumers. They can be manipulated through environmental cues that shape their behavior in habitual ways, which in turn shapes their thinking. Desires, choices and identity can be engineered. They try to make money off this view of humanity. This is the crowd in the life of Brian chanting, we are all individuals. <laughs> we, are, we are herd-like creatures who are hurting. And it's your fault, by the way, if your life doesn't quite live up to the ideal of Instagram. And so a generation is creating this public image of perception but they are anxious, they are broken, they are delaying adulthood, they are not flourishing, they are not moving forward. Point to populism all you like, but this is inside of us. And so the fruit of our age is, is nihilism, discontent, dissatisfaction, cynicism, passivity, withdrawal, and human striving. Happy New Year. <laughs> Keep it light. We are herd-like in our group mentality, but we are anxious and we are individual. Basically, we're sheep. You and I could do with a shepherd. We desperately need a shepherd. What does our passage in Revelation that was so beautifully read to us have to say about all of this? You know, this vision that, that John has. Well, Have a look at verses 9 and 10 there in, in your Bibles, John writes this, verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What I want you to notice here in this passage is uh, firstly, the people, secondly, uh, what they're doing, and thirdly, what they are saying. So firstly, the people, the people. And what you see is relationship, a great, countless multitude from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. You and I aren't really going to get better this year by clicking like on Wisdom on on anti-social media or rushing about between appointments with our exercise mats. Not really. We are going to become, be better off this year as we connect with one another in the one place where you get a cross-section of society. The headlines are rammed at the moment with nations that are dividing people based on caste and colour, and tribe and religion. But at the feet of Jesus, we are restored to one another as equals. You know, And as anti-Semitism rears its ugly head again, Christians proudly and defiantly worship a Jewish man who in his life and in, in his death scandalized racial divisions. But it's, it's not just relationship with each other we see here. We also see relationship with God, What do I mean by that? What kind of relationship is this? Have a look at verse 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Note that he will be their shepherd. Not a shepherd, not the shepherd, but their shepherd, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Those words are familiar to so many of us here in this room. They've lost their power. But I find that people don't take those words for granted when they're on their deathbeds or when their loved ones are. We all need a shepherd. And he'll be your shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but your shepherd if you will let him shepherd you this year. After a decade that has been defined by disconnection more than anything else. You and I were made for connection. We were made for relationship with one another and also with God. Which is the, the second thing that I want you to notice from this passage. It's not just the people, but what they're doing. They are, they are worshipping Jesus. You see that in verse 11, all those falling down on their faces in worship. And verse verse 10, they're all crying out. They're all worshipping money, success. Fame, family, work, the sacred cows of modern-day Britain. You know, we, we pour our whole bodies into relationships, into Coldplay concerts, into sports games. We're not so secular after all, are we? You and I, we were made to worship. And one day, everybody will worship Jesus Christ. The church is not backward. The church is futuristic. If you're worshiping Jesus, you're ahead of the curve. Congratulations. Come and worship Jesus this year. Come to Alpha. Come to church on a Sunday. Come and worship. Because as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus Christ. So firstly, the people, this is, this is everyone and anyone who turns to Jesus, whoever they are, wherever they've come from, whatever they've done, anyone who turns to Jesus. Secondly, what they're doing, they're, they're worshipping Jesus. Thirdly, what they are saying, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God. Skip down to verse 14. The elder the says, you know, who are the people here? Who are they? They are, the, they are the people that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb." You and I need a wash. Our society is dirty because we are dirty. You and I know that the, the big problems out there are big problems in here. And that you and I will not become sparkling by striving. well, will not come by never trying to put a foot wrong and always, always using a keep cup. But in recognizing that we need a savior, I need a savior. No amount of striving is going to get me anywhere. If you want a, a picture for where secularism is at at the moment, think back to last year when we saw the spire of the Notre Dame topple over into the flames. know, precious little was actually said about God when this happened. But it's very interesting to hear the reactions of people. I think quite rightly reacting in horror and, and hysteria to the death of a building of such iconic, cultural, historical, artistic value. But, but why does it have such significance in those ways? Well, the Notre Dame, it was a trendsetter in Gothic architecture. You know, those sweeping movements and those arches that point you to the skies, that give you a sense of awe and wonder and mystery at the transcendent. And you will also have seen the, the photo of smoke rising from the altar Inside. And what remains is the cross. Because Gothic architecture, it might point you to heaven, but the cross will actually get you there. The cross is not just one of many options, it is not just one of many themes of worship. The cross is the way to worship. Better lives and human potential do not come about by striving and yearning and reaching, but by a saviour. This is the one altar, the one perfect, full and sufficient sacrifice to put everything right between us and God and us and each other. What else is promised to us in this passage? Verse 15 says, And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. This was always, always, always about being close to God, about knowing his presence and his comfort and his care. Verse 16, Never again more they hunger, never again more they thirst. Our society is thirsty. People are thirsty, people are hungry. Verse 17, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, life is it's often very hard. But this is what we have to look forward to. God wiping away all our tears. But this is also for now. You and I don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for a restored relationship with God. We don't have to wait for a restored relationship With each other. We don't need to wait for a direction for our deepest desires. We don't have to wait for what our deepest need is in forgiveness. You and I, we need a shepherd. And in John's Gospel, in a passage where where Jesus talks about being a shepherd, he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. So, can I ask you, today, whether or not you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, are you experiencing life to the full right now? Because that is the promise of Jesus. That is the promise on offer to each person in this room. To know fullness of life. What does that, that fullness of life look like? Jonathan Haidt is a uh, social psychologist at NYU. He specializes in moral psychology and political, economic, and educational systems. And he summarizes our basic psychological needs like this. He says, just as plants need sun, water, and good soil to thrive, people need love, work, and a connection to something larger. Now, I don't have a degree in psychology, but I do know that the connection to something larger that our world so craves is actually a connection to someone larger. Look at verse 17. We see there are springs of living water. This is the Spirit of Jesus, this is the Holy Spirit. And as, as we drink from Him, He flows out and He flows through our lives. He flows into our work. Each person in this room works. Whether or not you get paid for that work, all of us work. And he gives us a direction and a purpose for that work. And in him, you can experience unconditional love, which is really the end of the day. All each one of us really wants this living water, as we receive from Jesus, he, he flows through us. This is life in the Spirit. The, the God, he not only comes to comfort us, but he comes to empower us, to bring about better lives all around us, wherever we go. Are we better off without Christianity? Well, God is the only interesting thing about Christianity. He is all I have to offer you today. I mean, have you looked at Jesus lately? He sat and ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and the bigots who were offended by that. He forgave his friends that were letting him down at his time of most need and he forgave the people that were crucifying him. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you've done, whatever you fear, whatever you hope, Jesus is better for each person that he comes into contact with. But boy, is he subversive. My experience is that Jesus, he leads you to live a very different life to the one that you're expecting, but one that's a whole lot better. Jesus is better for everyone that he comes into contact with. He will always love you, he will always care for you, he will always forgive you, you don't have to impress him, you don't have to achieve anything for him, he is your shepherd and you will always matter to him. Amen. Amen.